0: You, you sit on the side of a mountain, and you just wait, and you wait, and you wait, and, and you wait for them to step out. They, they just sort of materialize as a ghost out of the forest, this gray, stunning animal that, again, is, is very large, six, 800-pound animal.
1: Welcome to the Big Game Hunting Podcast, where we help hunters like you prepare for the big game hunting adventures you've always dreamed of. Now, here's your host, John McAdams. Hey everybody, John McAdams here and welcome to episode 105 of the Big Game Hunting Podcast. It's good to talk to you again as always and as I'm recording this, summer is finally starting to wind down and hunting seasons are open in some parts of the country. September is right around the corner and we're gonna be out in the woods again before you know it, so just hang tight. Now, with all that in mind, I thought that today would be a great opportunity to talk about a couple of very rare and unique hunting experiences with you to help whet your appetite even more for this upcoming hunting season. So, I recently had the pleasure of talking to Chris Dorsey, and if you don't know who he is, Chris is a longtime hunting TV show host and producer. Over the years, his work in the entertainment business has taken him all over the world to hunt all sorts of different species of game in an incredible variety of locations, Not only has he gotten the opportunity to participate in some hunts that most other people can only dream of, but as a TV show host and producer, he also had the opportunity to document those adventures in a manner that very few other people can. Now today, Chris and I are gonna talk about mountain inyala and bongo hunting. Both of those animals inhabit Africa, but they live in areas very far removed from countries like South Africa and Namibia that are the most common destinations for visiting hunters. As you can probably imagine, both Mountain Inyala and Bongo offer a completely different hunting experience as well, and as the saying goes, those hunts are not for the weak or the faint of heart. So strap in today because Chris and I are going to talk about a couple of very interesting and unique hunts. Let's go ahead and get started. All right, well, Chris, it is great having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Great to be here, John.
1: So your career has taken you all over the world, and you've had the opportunity to hunt all kinds of different exotic animals and all sorts of different exotic locations. However, today I really want to focus on two especially noteworthy animals, uh, the bongo and the mountain inyala. So let's let's start with the bongo. And so for the listener who may not already know, can you tell us what the heck a bongo is to start out with?
0: (laughs) Well, it's a little drum. No, actually, it's... uh... (laughs) You know, when it comes to the spiral horns of, of Africa, I think it's really one of the you know one of the great collections and slams, if you will. Not that I'm really all that excited about slams per se, but but the thing about hunting the spiral horns is they take you to some of the 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 coolest, most remote corners of Africa, and the bongo is certainly one of those. It's a, a forest-dwelling antelope that's that's orange in color with candy stripes down its side and and just a striking chevron on its face. I mean, it's really, it's really a stunning animal. Just the, the physical specimen itself is so incredibly beautiful that it it really does take your breath away. And and then sort of go hunt them in a in a jungle environment in Central Africa. It's, you know, it's Cameroon, it's the Congo now, which has opened up, and so people are hunting them in in the Congo. And there's subspecies of the bongo, but all of them are just stunningly beautiful. The thing about a bongo is there's really nothing like it. There's nothing that looks like the bongo. It's a very secretive animal. It's not a herd animal per se, although you'll see them, you know, in collections and salt pans and things like that. But for the most part, it's a, it's a pretty solitary critter. And uh, and once upon a time, you used to strictly hunt them by tracking and you're, you're walking along at port arms, you know, guns ready, and, and you're tracking for hours and hours through the the hot forest, the jungle, and and you might get a glimpse of a, a, a patch of orange ahead of you, and and the trackers would get all excited and point, and, you know, that, that was your chance to, to shoot. But you very often didn't know if it was a male or a female. You know, you, you would hope by the size of the track that it was a male, but not always, you know, was that indicative of, of a bull. So a lot of females got shot that way. and And, and so what's happened now is you have the majority of the hunt is conducted by tracking. You're tracking through the forest. And again, you're looking for a big, you know, bold track, but, but again, they'll cross and they'll, they'll intersect and things like that in the forest. And, and the shooting distance is often very close and very quick. But what, what happens now typically, and, and this is really the, the lion's share of the hunting now is done this way. If it's done tracking is they'll bring dogs along and, and again, people think, well, they just cut the dogs loose, and then you know two hours later you're you're standing next to a bongo and you shoot it. Well, that really couldn't be further from the truth the The hunting is still done by tracking you're still tracking this animal and and I had to go two different times to Cameroon to finally get a bongo, and that's what let me tell you that's a long way to go to get an animal and uh, but that that shows you I think the draw, the allure of, of such a special creature that that I would make a a whole nother trip to to hunt them. But, you know, they'll they'll track and they'll track and they'll track for days on end, and, and very often you lose the track. Uh, if you don't have enough rain in the forest, it's going to be very difficult to track under the leaf litter that that covers the, the jungle. But if you are able, if you're lucky enough to get to where you jump a bongo, you're actually tracking it, and you finally jump that bongo, they'll release the dogs. And, and bongo are pretty aggressive antelope. So they'll turn and they'll face the dogs in, in many instances. And then you scramble through the forest in a sprint and, and you get up there and, and hopefully it's still there. And, and then you can discern, is this a female? Is this a bull worth worth shooting? And uh, so it's it's really been, I think, a good conservation thing that, that they've introduced dogs as part of the equation now. But again, it, just to dispel the, the myth for those who don't know, the dogs are not what find the bongo. You're still tracking the bongo. You're still spending days on end to find this this magical creature in the forest. And the dog just gives you that opportunity to determine, frankly, if it's a male or a female. But once upon a time, it used to strictly be this tracking business. And that's why so many females were shot in the, in the past. And then there's, you know, there's also hunting over salt pans where people will build a, a machan, a Professional hunter will build a machana, a stand, and and you'll sit in that. And these salt pans are are frequented sometimes by by bongo and other you know forest dwelling critters, from giant forest hogs to forest citatunga and things like that. And that's obviously a much easier way to hunt, just to sit in the stand and wait for them to come out. But uh, but that's not the way I did it, and and I'm glad I didn't do it that way. I, I really enjoyed the. The torment through the forest for all all the challenge that it was, it it made that animal that much more rewarding.
1: Yeah, tor- torment through the forest definitely seems to be a common theme on the bongo hunts. I've heard lots of stories just like yours. You go for a 14 or a 21 day hunt, strike out, then come back for a second, or sometimes even a third one, just to get one shot at at one bongo.
0: Yeah, I, they're just such a unique and amazing animal that I, I think of all the animals I've hunted around the world and, you know, look, I've been blessed to take the, the North American 29 and, and uh, hunt it all over the world many times, 45 trips or something like that to Africa. But I think of all those animals, there really is no animal that's more dramatic, compelling, stunningly beautiful than a, than a bongo. There, there just isn't. And, and so I think, you know that that just speaks to the the allure and the draw that that I think once you've hunted Africa many times and and this isn't to me it's not an animal that you go to Africa the first time and you hunt a bongo you know that just isn't the way to graduate into the experience I mean Africa to me should be revealed in, in layers of the onion and and start with let's start with some plains game and let's get to know the continent let's let's travel to different parts of it maybe get into to dangerous game at a certain point when you feel comfortable and confident that you're not going to risk everybody's lives by by making a bad shot and they have to follow up and and so that that to me is the way to do this whole game it's just there's so much in the world to hunt so many great animals but but do it do it as they mean something to you and and i know people that have a lot of means that will go and they'll check boxes i did the big five in two weeks and well okay good for you I mean, I, I'm glad you had that opportunity. I, I hope it means something to you. It just would not have meant as much to me had I done it that way. Not that I could have afforded to to have done it that way anyway. But but really savor Africa for for the magic that it is. And, and, uh, and I think, uh, you know, for me, that's always been what I've told people. You can, even if you have the means, don't go and, and hunt all the premium animals of Africa in, in one one false swoop and maybe if you're up there in years you can justify more of that but but try and savor it and, and go back and and immerse yourself in all that this continent has to offer and i think it'll be you will you'll be rewarded mightily for for having it done done that way
1: yeah it definitely seems like especially with bongo that the um that the the journey is the destination. Uh, with that, you're a completely different experience than what you're getting on a hunt in in many other different parts of Africa. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's there's so much more involved in it with just shooting that one animal. Because yeah, if you if you were hardcore, oh man, if I don't shoot my bongo on this trip, it's going to be a failure. You're probably going to be disappointed. It sounds like then.
0: Well, I, I think that's generally the case, no matter what. You know, I mean, you're you're of course buying a hunt and not an animal, and I think you. You know as international hunters we sort of accept that fact early on or, or we live a very <laughs> very difficult life i think it's just and that that's what makes all these things worthwhile and and it, it is the struggle i think it was ivan Turgenev, the famous russian writer who wrote you know the value of a trophy is directly proportionate to the amount of uh, of struggle and and uh effort into its acquisition and that really is the case i mean the harder you work for an animal the more it means to you and I look, I've shot animals like many people have that were extraordinarily big specimens. I mean, they were fantastic specimens, but maybe the hunt wasn't all that spectacular. It just, for whatever reason, it unfolded in sort of an easy manner. It wasn't as difficult as I thought it was going to be, it wasn't as challenging. I didn't spend as much time, and that animal, you know, just didn't mean as much to me as, as maybe a sheep that I took in, in Alberta, which wasn't a huge sheep. It was a legal ram, but it was a spectacular hunt. It was a hunt I'll never forget, and and I think that's how we need to be processing this whole experience and and speaking about it. You know, I think when we talk to people about it, let's let's share that element. Let's share the struggle. Let's share how difficult it was, and and I think that's important for people who are, you know, particularly not hunters to understand that and and what it means to you as a hunter. And so yeah, the bongo is is right up there, and and I think really because of where they take you this. This jungle environment is so different than the rest of Africa, and people say, "Well, I, no, I've been to Africa seven times." Well, we're exactly in Africa because you know it's like yeah, Africa is really Alaska. big. Yeah, <laughs> Alaska is North America. Well, it's a little different than the Florida Keys, don't you think? And and that's kind of the breadth and scope of what you see in Africa as well. And and so it's uh, it's such a unique environment. I and mean, we were talking about you know gorillas in the neighborhood and 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 chimpanzees and. And this kind of stuff in the area where you're hunting these bongos, so it's a it's a pretty pretty interesting, pretty fascinating, and pretty rarefied air i think as as hunting goes to to be hunting bongo
1: well, tell us a little bit more about the struggle. what was the terrain like that you were going through uh you know the temperature you know that that sort of thing yeah
0: i mean it it it's the the whole deal, and the reason I didn't get a bongo the first time and and what I tried to do is I tried to combine a a a hunt in northern cameroon which is stunningly beautiful terrain and yet very different than southern cameroon which is the jungle northern cameroon is is much more sort of tanzania like you know it's rolling hills and grass and and uh so i was hunting the giant eland up there you know i'm thinking look maybe i can do both i I really hope that i can i can hunt both species in, in one trip and turns out i could hunt both species in one trip i just didn't get both species and, uh, and so when you come back to the, the jungle, you got to have rain. It really, to, to, to track a bongo, it, it has to have rained. You need soft earth and you need the leaf litter, which is, you know, eight to 10 inches thick everywhere in the forest. You need that to be matted down because of the, the rain itself to really be able to follow the track. I mean, that's the, that really is the key. And we just didn't have enough rain. And, uh, and so we struggled mightily to, to stay on tracks, yeah you know we we would find some decent track in in river bottoms you know in the forest itself and and then you would lose it as they'd move into the the higher elevations away from the forest or, or away from the river in the forest so again it's it's thorns it's vines it's super thick it's heat it's humidity and and it's generally the lack of game you know when you go to Africa, typically you're seeing southern Africa. You're seeing so much game almost everywhere. Around every bend is a different herd, and and it's just just rife with all sorts of different species. And, of course, that's the magic of going to Africa as a hunter. You know, you're always overwhelmed by the the charismatic megafauna that's around every bend. But when you go into the jungle, you're not seeing that. I mean, there's critters there, but the densities are much, much lower. There's forest elephants. You'll see tracks. There's dwarf forest buffalo, which we hunted as well, which is a spectacular hunt. Um, but you're just not seeing many animals. So in your mind, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a shift from previous African experiences. And, and that's, you know, that's the, the challenge mentally is you stay on a track. You might be on a track for seven, eight hours in a day and you lose it at dark. You know, we just, we just can't get up to this bongo, which means we're going back to the camp. We're going to have to start over tomorrow morning. It's not like you're going to pick up that track again and just find that you're going to start anew and, and, so the mental highs and lows of, of hunting bongo are pretty extreme. I, I would compare it to a degree to sort of leopard hunting where, you know, you, you might have a bait that's hit, but that's, that's one thing. That doesn't mean the, the leopard's coming back. And so the emotional highs and lows are, are such that you've got to, the contract you need to sign with yourself going into these experiences is to say, I got to, I got to just stay the course. I got to do what's required. I got to, not worry about, you know, failure and and just focus on that point on the horizon, which is trying to get this animal and, and don't get down, stay upbeat, stay optimistic and, and things will turn. And, and as they very often do in hunting, in a in a nanosecond, you can go from no activity whatsoever to suddenly the game's over. You know, you had seven seconds to make the shot. You made the shot. You got your animal after two safaris to (laughs) find it after 20, 30 days, whatever it is, you finally get it. It's, that's the, the emotional, amazing moment of, of big game hunting, I think, in so many cases, but particularly with, with bongo. You've got to be ready for it.
1: Was that a pretty close range shot that you ended up making on that bongo?
0: Yeah, I think it was maybe 40 yards, and realistically, I could only see pieces of him. I could see his, his head, and then I sort of you know triangulated through the, through the, the leaves as to where his chest was. By the position of his 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 head and neck, and and so shot him that way. So the the shot is really anticlimactic, as you might imagine on a bongo hunt. It's everything leading up to the shot that that is the experience. And and uh, you know, having said that, you, you you certainly want to make sure you can you can anchor such a premium animal and and do it quickly if you can.
1: Well, since they're such a uh, they're a pretty darn big animal, I probably uh, I've heard maybe. You know what? Seven, eight, nine hundred pounds, something like that.
0: Well, I, I think five to six to maybe big bulls being you know as much as seven hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but I would say five to six hundred is probably more an average on on them. But yeah, very substantial animal. You know, and uh, certainly not a a giant eland size by any stretch, but but very substantial.
1: What What did you end up shooting them with?
0: I used a three seven five that I've taken on. I don't know how many safaris to Africa and. And I just love shooting the rifle. It's super comfortable and and uh just just has good vibes. I think all the misses have been taken out of that rifle and, and I just seem to have great luck with it. And it's when you're hunting something premium like that, you really want a rifle that you're very comfortable with.
1: No, definitely. And you know, like you said, you're you're not gonna get many shots and so you need to make the most out of the ones that come. And so there's there's not much you can't hunt with a three seven five in Africa.
0: Well, that's right. And, and the, the other thing about being in that environment is, is there's dwarf forest buffalo, which can be fairly aggressive, and there's also elephants. So when you're walking in, in thick cover like that, getting in close on an animal sometimes happens by accident, and sometimes they don't react all that well to that. So it is nice to have 300 grains of, of lead to, uh, you know, to, to at least support your own life. You know.
1: Well, yeah, definitely. Well, let's let's switch gears here to something that is a probably uh, about as uh, different from bongo hunting as as you can get, uh, and talk about that mountain in Yala hunt that you did. I, I assume you were in Ethiopia.
0: Yeah, in fact, uh, you're in the you're in the cloud forest south of Addis Ababa. It's it's you know it's a very small range that these animals occupy, and I think there's fewer than twenty now taken every year, and and so it's a very very specialized kind of hunt and the cloud forest is stunningly beautiful, dramatic, it's nine to ten thousand feet in elevation, lush forest, it rains, you know, much of the year in a light drizzle. So, you know, you're really in a rain forest, but it's at high elevation. So it's 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 cold at night. It's not just chilly, it's cold. And it's maybe not freezing, but it's just above freezing. So very different when you think about Africa and you're really not far from the equator, but by virtue of the elevation, you know the the, the climate's very different. And you know the the mountain in Yala is really probably the the most exclusive animal in africa. I don't I don't think there's anything more exclusive in terms of you know very few are taken. It occupies a very small range. And it's a very specialized hunt, and and the Russos family to me was fascinating. And look, I'm a I'm a biologist by training, and I'm a journalist by training, and and so I have sort of an innate curiosity about you know flora and fauna wherever I go. I, I love to learn about the you know interdependence of species, whether it's plant and animal, you know the threats to those species, and and conservation efforts that surround keeping things like the mountain in Yala intact. And, and their population healthy, and and the Russo's family, it's it's Nassos Russo's who's a who's a, a Greek that was born in in Africa and and created this amazing safari company that really did specialize in in mountain nyala and in other species as well, but particularly the the mountain nyala. And he really became I describe him like the Lorax, you know, he's the Dr. Seuss character that spoke for the trees. He speaks for the forest, but he also speaks for the mountain nyala. And, and by virtue of having done that, created a, an economic incentive to keep those those animals around through hunting, he saved that species and and almost single-handedly. It's it's really an amazing story. And Jason, who's a Colorado State uh, biology graduate, uh, grew up in the bush and and spent part of his life in in Colorado and and back and forth. And he still lives that way. And he's married to a Cabela's granddaughter, <laughs> coincidentally.
1: Oh wow! And
0: uh, so, you know, they've, they've really, he's super articulate, super passionate about it. So much fun to hunt with him I mean, really one of the, the best pHs I've ever seen, any, any guide pH anywhere in the world, just because he was so knowledgeable about the environment, all species and, and plant and animal and, and the relationship between them and, and what it takes to keep them, you know, going and the giant forest hogs and the leopard. And he, you know, he would walk through the forest mimicking sounds of, the colobus monkey and and leopard calls, And uh, he was, he was sort of this Tarzan character as a, as a pH, but also super, super passionate about hunting. So it just made the experience that much more rich and fun. I, I wrote about this in one of my, my Forbes columns. I do a column for Forbes online and I cover a lot of outdoor stuff, a lot of hunting and a lot of adventure and wildlife art just had a piece yesterday on John Banovich, the wildlife artist. And And uh, so it was fun to kind of talk about the conservation effort that he is he is he and his family have done through hunting and the role hunting plays in conservation throughout so much of the world, but especially in Africa.
1: That is fascinating. I've I've heard about mountain nyala and I've heard about people hunting them up in the mountains. I've, I wrote a, I read about one of Boddington's hunts up there, uh, but mm-hmm. the you know, you're talking about the the conservation aspects of it. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm familiar with that in general, but not the specifics of the of the mountain nyala uh, situation there in Ethiopia. That's a that, like I said, it's very fascinating.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a very populated country. People don't understand how populated it's. I think it's the most populated country in Africa, so what that means obviously is there's a lot of demand on natural resources in the country and uh, and so these habitats that are occupied by by yala are rich forests you know the the fiber and the food you know via game that can be snared et cetera that's available in those forests are 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 very attractive to the human population so so managing the the give and take of what it takes to keep people happy and what it takes to keep the animals alive in those environments is really a delicate dance that that the russo's family has done for a very very long time but i think it is a tremendous model of of what could be transported to other parts of africa and and uh, and needs to be transported if we're going to have these critters for a long period of time but but it's a spectacular animal it's a very secretive animal and and the way you hunt them is you you know they know this environment they've been hunting this area for so many years that they know where these mountain yala will come out in these valleys and and it's it's like this chlorophyll overdose i mean it's such a lush green environment that you you really can't stalk into it you really can't track them you You sit on the side of a mountain and you just wait and you wait and you wait and and you wait for them to step out they they just sort of materialize as a ghost out of the forest this gray stunning animal that again is is very large six eight hundred pound animal just deep chested beefy really bear no resemblance to the the Inyala of, of southern Africa I don't even know why they call them Inyala. they they just look very different than than any other you know the subspecies of, of other Inyala. and uh, and you wait for them to show up and 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 you hope that it's you know the the right kind of bull and and he only takes very you know very mature animals and and so it's a it's a wait and see game and 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 there's also other critters to hunt there the giant forest hog and we happen to see a just a magnificent specimen of a giant forest hog fifty yards away and I, of course I didn't have a tag and <laughs> those tags are are spoken for years in advance and just didn't align line that I could get a a tag for one. So I just I just reveled in seeing this amazing giant forest hog, which was, he said, maybe a mile from where the world record was taken. He said that thing was going to be very close to the world record in size. And so one of those amazing experiences in the in the cloud forest of Ethiopia.
1: So I imagine that your shooting distances up there are much longer than what you had for the bongo then, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would say to anybody that's thinking about doing one of those one of those hunts be ready to shoot out the 400 yards. You you may not shoot that far. Uh, pretty good chance that you won't, but there's also a chance that you will because you're shooting from, you know, the side of a mountain to another side of a mountain in many cases. Mine was about 250 yards, um, not a overly challenging shot, but but again, it's not a, you know, inside of a 100-yard kind of shot. And, and in Africa, those are long shots, as mm-hmm. you know. That's not a, a, typically in Africa, you're shooting inside of 100 yards in most cases, um, so yeah, you need to be ready for that. And, and, uh, and you have think about, you know, the psychology of hunting an animal that, you know, costs a lot of money. These are very expensive hunts, you know, <laughs> an Ivy league education would be less expensive than hunting a mountain in Yala. And, and, uh, so there's pressure that comes with that, you know, double that with a camera over your shoulder <laughs> making television. And yeah, there's, you know, there's a little bit of a, a nerve factor that goes into, because look, at the end of the day, if you cut if you cut skin on that animal, whether or not you recover it, it's your animal. That was your tag. You you've you've now just exhausted your opportunity. So there's a you know there's a bit of a bit of a pucker factor that comes with. I need to make this shot. This one needs to count right now, and uh, so all that kind of weighs into your psychology when you're hunting, you know, expensive premium animals. And, and sheep hunters know all about this as well, and and they go through sort of the same the same pressure that, that gets into the mindset of, of a premium big game hunter.
1: And so what did you end up shooting the Inyala with?
0: You know, I used a, I used a 375 as well. Uh, there you go. Again, it's one of those things that I'm very confident out to 300 yards with that. I was not thinking I would shoot beyond 300 yards. And, and he, he said, look, it would be very unusual to shoot beyond that, but it does happen. But it's your call. And if you are comfortable with that rifle, then, Go for it. So, yeah.
1: The the three seven five.
0: People should have. Three hundreds are are perfect for a a mountain in Yala. Absolutely, the the perfect caliber. I would say would be a, a three hundred and and uh, plenty of punch. And uh, again, they're not they're not extreme. Unlike a lot of animals in Africa, the mountain in Yala is not an extremely tough animal. And and that's Jason would confirm that. He's like, look, if, if you hit it decently, you're going to find it. You're gonna you're gonna recover that animal. Unlike. Say maybe a kudu, which you know they're tougher. They just and an Elon can be very tough as well, and and uh, so you know this in particular is not as as tough for whatever reason. You still have to make a good shot, but as long as you make a decent shot, you're going to recover that animal in most cases.
1: Just from the physical standpoint, which of those hunts would you say was more physically challenging: the the in mountain inyala hunt or the bongo hunt?
0: You know, I I live at almost 7,000 feet, so the elevation made no difference to me. Um, Really wasn't difficult at all to negotiate that. And, you know, I work out at 7,000 feet and stuff. So, again, I'm very used to that kind of elevation. I think if you're you're coming from the flatland, however, that's pretty extreme elevation. I I think you need to be in shape. You need to be ready for it. Um, You know, I don't know if you need to go to the... You know the extent of, of dosing with Dymox and things like that, like you know, extreme sheep hunters do. But but I think uh, you know you, you need to you need to be in decent shape to do it. It's not like you're running after and and, and you got to climb for hours and hours. It's not that challenging, but you're just at at pretty high elevation for people that might be on the coast. So be be ready for that. I would say in terms of just the hiking and moving, the bongo is definitely more more challenging because you're always. You're always on a track. You're always moving around all day long, and uh, Mount yala you're you're sitting very for hours on end, just waiting for a, a Mount Inyala to materialize.
1: What was travel like, getting to and from Cameroon and Ethiopia from the United States?
0: You know, it was that's a great question because you would think this must have been a a nightmarish journey, but frankly, it it it's amazing to me. You know, having played this game for roughly 30 years now in international sporting travel, fishing, hunting, big game hunting, wing shooting, you know how much infrastructure there is all over the globe to enjoy this lifestyle. You know, there's lodges, guides, outfitters, there's charter captains, there's all sorts of ways to get there. And and frankly, getting to Ethiopia out of out of Dulles in, in Washington D.C., you know, Ethiopian Airways, believe it or not, is a is a very good airline. And they flew direct to Addis. And uh, and from there, it was a charter flight, you know. So it was essentially two flights to get to camp, maybe an hour and a half, two-hour drive to get up into the actual camp. So it was pretty darn seamless. I mean, you would be I, – I frankly was shocked at how easy it was to get there. Yeah, it's a long way. I get it. But in terms of, you know, the struggle of moving stuff around and changing airlines and going through customs and all that, it was really seamless. Cameroon a little bit more difficult, and I, I know people that have gone into the CAR where you you can also hunt uh, bongo when it's not you know going through civil unrest, which is most of the time now. Uh, that that's a, a little bit more difficult, a little bit more challenging. Get into Yaounde, Cameroon. You fly into Yaounde, the capital, and then you you know you might have a six seven hour drive, and you're going through logging roads and all that. You might be able to get a charter flight in. Maybe, maybe not. Um, so that that gets to be a little bit more challenging, and, and I'll for, I'll never forget the the first morning we we woke up, we overnighted, we landed late at night in Yaounde, Cameroon, and and uh, woke up the next morning, and I'm I'm walked over to the cameraman's room, and and he's rolling on this little deck, you know, in in the hotel, a big hotel, and and he's he looks like just a giant flock of crows in downtown Yaounde. And I'm looking at this mass of big crows everywhere, and he zooms in on the camera. And he says, hmm, those aren't crows. Turns out they were fruit bats,
1: thousands
0: oh, wow. and thousands of fruit bats in broad daylight. I mean, it was just this Bella Lugosi moment. like, oh, my God, those are, those are fruit bats. They didn't get the memo about being nocturnal. But, yeah. yeah, crazy, crazy environment all the way around.
1: So you have a new book and a DVD coming out soon. Why don't you tell us a little bit about them?
0: Yeah, Director's Cut is a is a book that we did with Sporting Classics magazine and they have a book division and and look it's something we've wanted to do, John, for a long, long time. And we've we've been traveling the globe. I think we've produced fifty-six series over twenty-five years in the outdoor space alone, an equal number in mainstream television, cable and, and broadcast. But we we've, we've been amassing this huge library of still photography. We we would bring you know, some of the best still photographers in the world, Deshaun Smetana, who's, I think he's done 1,100 covers or something like that in magazines over the years. And Marcos Führer from Argentina, just a stunningly good sporting life photographer. John McGillivray, another one from Montana. So we, we've been taking these guys around the globe as we've been produ- producing television shows, having them shoot this amazing library of still photography while we're shooting television shows. And it's like, look, why don't we put together something that's never been done. Why don't we, why don't we amass the you know, 100,000 still images, 150,000 hours of HD content, video content, and put together really the definitive international big game celebration through a book that's roughly 400 pages, hardcover, landscape, stunning still photography. And then every chapter has a, has a film. We, we've done a, at least a 10-minute film from every one of the locations and put that together as a bundle. So that you you've got this really amazing celebration that nobody's ever done, and and frankly you couldn't do it. You couldn't go in and justify financially. Hey, I'm going to go create a book and and DVD based on what I can sell books for and DVDs. You know, we we monetized this over the years with television and and uh, made it all work economically that way. And and so what we've delivered, I think, is is something pretty special, and it's been. It's been really great. It's been out for just a few weeks now and the and the reviews and the feedback has been extraordinary and you might imagine it's it's selling quite well just because there's nothing like it in the marketplace is
1: is there content in the book in the d v d about your bongo and mountain and hunts?
0: both those hunts both those hunts made it into the book and and the films are in there as well so yeah, I think it's it's uh and they' To me, they're two of the best chapters in the book because of what they represent. You know, the the species, the location, the struggle, and and again, I came to those hunts late in my hunting career. I, I had a lot of experience, a lot of background in Africa and around the world in hunting, and and so they meant a lot to me. And and I think, I hope anyway, that the writing conveys that that sense of of awe and and. Uh, and humbleness to have to have even been in those places and, and experienced
1: those hunts. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm I'm looking forward to checking this out. It sounds like quite quite the experience there. And and, and and like you said, it's it's not something that would be easy to do, like, okay, let's go just do this project, but it's but like you said, since you had that amazing uh, library of all of this stuff already, it's nice to go back and look at twenty years worth of the hunts that you've chronicled over the years. That is really cool. And so what what well, else? Exactly. Yeah, what else exactly,
0: do you hunt? John that's the deal. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it's there's there's sheep from around the world in there. There's many of the North American the bear hunts and and elk hunts and and uh, South American hunts. There's there's Australian water buffalo, there's driven boar from from Hungary and and really quite a collection of 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 pretty pretty theatrical hunts. Just great places, interesting hunts great people. And, and so much of what I like to do is, is tell the story of the people I'm with, you know, I mean, people that are living in the, the mountains of Alberta, hunting bighorn sheep every fall. And I, I want to know about them. I want to hear from them. And, and, and so I try and not make it just about me. I, I want to share a broader story of people that are living those experiences and, and a little bit of how to, but a lot of why to, and, and let's think think about the experience as hunters and and let's see, and I write about elephant hunting in this book and and I came to elephant hunting a long time into my african hunting career i i didn't want to hunt elephants i didn't start out saying someday i really want to hunt an elephant in fact i was quite certain when i first started traveling to africa that i had no interest in hunting an elephant but but as you evolve as a hunter as you get around more people as you talk about the experience and understand it and i write about that in the in the book my transformation of of having wanted to do this hunt ultimately after 20 25 safaris was a very organic process it's something that came to me in in when i was ready for it I, i would not have been ready for it sort of psychologically emotionally mentally until I had gone through the rest of these experiences. And and so that's why it meant so much more to me. But I also talk about the conservation aspect of what it means to hunt elephants. And and I, and I very poignantly say, I think in the in the article, look, if you care about elephants, regardless of whether or not you ever want to hunt an elephant, you need to understand that elephant hunting is elephant conservation. It is their only way forward. It is the only path to sustainability for these animals so we have to tell that story it's our inconvenient truth as i say in the book that that to hunt elephants is to save elephants and that's an axiom that's frankly true around the world
1: you're definitely right it's counterintuitive and a lot of people don't get it but that that is the way forward that's part of the way forward anyway amen uh, where can people buy copies of director's cut
0: you know sportingclassicsstore.com and there's a couple of versions there's actually three versions of the book there's a, a trade edition, the collector's edition, which is, they're all hardback. Um, and then there's a, a deluxe version. And then there's what's called the, the premier edition, which is actually coming out in just a couple of weeks, which has a, a custom G-Clay inside. It's got all the bells and whistles. and, and But they can go to the sportingclassicstore.com and, and find them right there.
1: And you said it is being sold. It is available right now, but then there's a, a different version of it that's going to be, be available here soon then, right? Yes,
0: exactly. There's, there's two versions, the deluxe and the collector's editions that are, are in the marketplace right now, being sold right now, selling very well, actually. And, uh, and then the premiere edition will, will be coming out in just a few weeks.
1: Okay, awesome. Well, I will definitely make sure to put a link in the show notes to this podcast where, where, where the listener can uh, buy their own copies.
0: Thanks so much, John. Really great to talk to you.
1: Hey, it was great talking with you today. You have a great day. Cheers. Appreciate it. Take care. Okay, so what'd you think about that discussion? Pretty cool, right? I personally have never hunted Mountain Inyala or Bongo, and I honestly don't know if I ever will, but you never know, though. However, both of those hunts sound absolutely incredible. If you're like me, uh, checking out Chris's book and DVD combination, Director's Cut, is probably the next best thing to actually being there yourself, especially for something like Mountain Inyala or Bongo that you may never get the opportunity to hunt. It's a very high quality product featuring some amazing photography and videography. And yes, like Chris said, these particular Mountain Inyala and Bongo hunts do feature prominently in Director's Cut. But they're not the only hunts in there either. The book and the DVD also showcase some elk, muskox, sheep, mountain goat, ibex, red stag, caribou, cape buffalo, and moose hunts, among many others. Plus, Director's Cut also does a great job of showcasing the various other extremely important aspects of the hunt itself, aside from actually killing the animal, ranging from incredible scenery to the wide range of emotions that hunters experience over the course of a trip. So you definitely need to check out Director's Cut at the Sporting Classics store. I'll put a link in the show notes where you can pick up your very own copy. Now, if you want to join a community where you can have these sorts of discussions with other veteran hunters that have been there and done that, then you need to check out huntingguns101.com. There you can receive some specific rifle, cartridge, ammo, and scope recommendations tailored to your specific hunting needs, regardless of whether you want to hunt deer or pronghorn in the lower 48, moose in Alaska, or something like Cape Buffalo, bongo, or mountain Inyala in Africa. You'll also get access to a Facebook community exclusively for Big Game Hunting Podcast listeners where you can get regular access to me as well as lots of other experienced hunters and shooters who can answer your questions and give you feedback. And to top it all off, members receive exclusive discounts on outfitted hunts through Big Game Hunting Adventures. Booking just one hunt will more than cover what it costs to join the group. Those are far from the only benefits associated with joining the group, and in fact, you get so much useful stuff from joining the community that I'm practically giving it all away considering what I'm charging for it. So if that sounds appealing to you, head on over to huntingguns101.com and sign up to get started. Now the fact that you are listening to this podcast means that you are serious about making your dreams come true. Follow me on Instagram at the big Game Hunter, and send any questions you have about the show to me on Instagram via direct message or you can send me an email at john at TheBigGameHuntingBlog.com. Remember, you can make your dream hunt turn into a reality and we can help. Thanks for listening and I'll see you back here next time on The Big Game Hunting Podcast. This show may be over, but we have plenty more for you on our website. For more information on today's topic, as well as lots of other useful hunting resources, head over to the biggamehuntingblog.com. We look forward to having you back for the next episode, but until then, happy hunting.